At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. I'm Sarah Vallely, professional coach. I help people overcome anxiety, heal from past trauma, improve their relationships, and maintain better work-life balance. This episode is about motivation, what we need to know to be motivated to accomplish all those goals that we want to accomplish in 2024. And I'm here with my guest, Mike Camparetto. He is a licensed therapist specializing in anxiety, OCD, depression, substance abuse, and he is trained in Buddhism and mindfulness. So that's one of the reasons I love having him on the show. We can get into some of those really good Buddhist talks. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. And we have a live audience with us tonight and this recording. This is our kickoff episode for 2024. I'm thinking about what you might be wanting to motivate yourself to do. The top five lifestyle changes you can make to better your health determined by research, exercising regularly, healthy eating, reducing caffeine intake, getting sufficient sleep, and managing stress. Maybe one of your goals is on that list as well, and or maybe it's something completely different. So the opposite to motivation, I would say, is procrastination. Procrastination is associated with health issues, and this is science. I've read the studies. Uh, There's a study I've read recently in the Journal of Behavioral Medicine. Procrastination can cause headaches. It can cause digestive issues. It can cause colds, insomnia, hypertension. It is linked, it is associated with cardiovascular disease. The reason is, is because procrastination causes a a stress. This activates our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. When this gets activated is it redirects our energy and resources in our body, which puts stress on our immune system. It raises our cortisol levels, uh, just a myriad of things. And another interesting fact about procrastination is in a twin study, it was found that it is 46% hereditary. I thought that was very interesting. Let's start off with talking about Mike's motivation equation. What is the motivation equation? If something's going to get done, the equation has to be balanced, right? And the two components of the equation are your level of motivation and the difficulty of the task. So, If the difficulty of the task is greater than your level of motivation, it's not going to get done, typically speaking, right? So that essentially leaves us with two options if we want to balance the equation. We have to either increase our level of motivation or we have to decrease the difficulty of the task that we're trying to complete. In my personal experience, uh, it's much, much easier to decrease the difficulty of the task than it is to increase your level of motivation. Motivation is one of these things that's really sort of difficult for a lot of people to have consistency with. I feel like some people are just kind of naturally, it's part of their personality where they're just highly motivated people and they're really good at coming up with goals and sticking to them and getting stuff done. 
I love the idea of people trying to start off the new year with these new goals and these intentions. And it's a little interesting that that happens at a time of year when people are most prone to things like seasonal depression. And the natural human cycle is to sort of go inwards and hibernate, for lack of a better term. If this is a hard time of year for you to be setting new goals and trying to stick to them, just recognize that that's also completely normal. All the information out there about overcoming, addressing procrastination, there's so much of it is geared toward, you know, how do we decrease the difficulty of the task. And uh, some of the examples have to do with breaking it down into smaller steps, just even as smaller step as look up the phone number, (laughs) make the phone call, these smaller tasks make it a lot more manageable. Uh, I got a question for you. Do you need to feel motivated to increase your motivation? Uh, Yeah, no. (laughs) That is one of the biggest myths about motivation and people really hold themselves to a high standard. They just feel so bad when they don't feel motivated. Some of you may be familiar with the neuroscientist and podcaster, Andrew Huberman. He has a great quote, let your behaviors drive your emotions rather than waiting for your emotions to drive your behaviors. It's just not going to happen in a lot of cases, right? Like how often do you just suddenly get struck with a wild burst of motivation out of nowhere. The feeling of motivation often comes second. There are some ways that we can talk about to increase your level of motivation so that you can maybe feel a little bit more motivated that might help get you over certain humps or blocks or obstacles. But generally speaking, a lot of the trick is just finding ways to do the thing and then waiting for the motivation to come later. I had a client once who was experiencing a pretty severe depression, and he knew that going to the gym regularly made him feel better. The difficulty of the task was much greater than his level of motivation to do it. I said to him, okay, on gym day, it was like three days a week, your goal is to put on your workout clothes. And if what you do then is just get back on the couch and play video games, that's fine because you've at least gotten one step closer to your goal. And he came back the next week and he said, I did that. Each of the days that I was supposed to work out, I put on my gym clothes. I didn't go to the gym the first two. And I did go to the gym the third day, even though I didn't work out for very long. Being able to break something down, no matter how small or how silly it might seem, but to be able to just say, I'm going to do this one small step, And that is going to give me the momentum I need to move towards that. Yeah, you don't need to make a home run your first crack at it. You know, whatever it is that you're you're trying to do that you're having a hard time getting motivated to do. I love what you said about the behaviors affecting the emotions versus the emotions affecting the behaviors. I just want to invite everybody to just take a pause and think about that. You know, what does that look like? in your life? What kind of behaviors do you know that you can do that uh, affect your emotions in a positive way? What kind of behaviors do you do that you know affect your emotions in a negative way? It can be very empowering to really see that cycle, see that connection. Thanks for sharing that. I wondered if there are 
any certain aspects of our lives that we know that we can spend more time with, incorporate in our life more that we know will increase our motivation. Any random person can put on any random motivational speaker and it may or may not resonate with you. And there's a lot of variables as to why that may be. You know, there's those motivational speakers that I don't respond well to, which are the people who are like a little bit more militant in their approach. Some people love those types. Some people hear that stuff and they just feel so riled up by that. And they're like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get it done. Great. If that works for you, know that about yourself. I find for me, listening to a certain type of music might give me a little energy boost. Calming down might give me what I need to be able to feel more motivated. It's easy to think of motivation as this high energy sort of, uh, you know, forward moving kind of sensation. But sometimes being in a in a calm, more centered space can help you feel motivated. Maybe there's certain music that we find more motivating than other music. Maybe there's certain environments that we find more motivating. Maybe there's certain people that we're around when we're around them, we feel more motivated. I mean, call that friend who inspires you. Reach out to that family member. Maybe there's certain ways that you move your body that gets you into that motivation state. So yeah, so I want to go ahead and share some hacks for procrastination And these first two are the 10-minute commitment and the two-minute launch. I want to explain the difference between these two. The 10-minute commitment means that you commit to working on the task for only 10 minutes. And then after the 10 minutes, you are free to walk away. The two-minute launch is similar in that you commit to doing the task for two minutes But the difference is, is you have to walk away afterwards. The 10 minute commitment, you get into it for 10 minutes and you might find yourself kind of swept up in it and you're, you, you don't want to maybe stop, which is great. The two minute launch, you do the task for two minutes a day for a period of time, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month, and you force yourself to stop after the two minutes. And what happens is you end up craving to do more. So it creates that craving feeling, but you have to cut yourself off. An example would be committing to going to the gym for only two minutes. I know that sounds crazy, but this is a thing. And you go to the gym and you walk around for two minutes and then you get in your car and go home. Back it up, maybe before that, the days before that, maybe you spend two minutes picking out your gym clothes. Maybe you spend two minutes looking at the route to drive to the gym. You spend two minutes. It can be the same thing each time. You might, for three or four times in a row, you might go to the gym and walk around for two minutes. Another strategy you can take is to ask yourself, what drives your avoidance? It could be doubt. Are you doubting the system that you're using? Are you doubting your own abilities? Are you doubting the abilities of other people? Asking yourself, am I avoiding this because of doubt? Another one could be fear. Am I avoiding this because there's something I fear? I fear that I'm not going to do it well. I'm not going to succeed. Or are you avoiding 
the task because of past trauma? Is it bringing up this familiar state that feels really icky and bad, such as a feeling of being rejected or feeling not good enough? Is it kind of bringing that up for you? The other one here is, is your avoidance driven by optimism? Meaning, are you just so optimistic that it's all going to work out with you getting involved and and doing whatever it is? This is the one that's big for me. I have this part of me and I have to use mindfulness to really sit and own it. I have this part of me that believes that if I just let the bills just sit on the table, that something magic is going to (laughs) happen. And they're just going to like go away. And I'll tell you what, once it did happen, once my energy bill got sent to a random guy in Asheville <laughs> for three months. <laughs> so I don't know, but usually it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So optimism could be another reason, something that's driving that. And one more that I want to share is called opposite action. It's a DBT skill. Mike, you might know about this with your background. The opposite action means that you identify the action that you are most resistant to doing in the moment and you do it. The reason it's called opposite action is because you do the opposite of what you are inclined to do. I will tell you, this totally works. I used this to get my garage cleaned. I just sat there on my couch knowing that the one thing I really, really didn't want to do was clean my garage. And I said, I'm going to use opposite action. I'm just going to get up, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to get started on the garage. It it really does work. One technique that I use when I'm goal setting with clients is to put it on a sort of zero to 10 point scale. On a scale of zero to 10, 10 being a hurricane couldn't stop me from doing this, zero being there's no way in hell I'm ever going to do this. If I give you an action to commit to, how likely are you? to do it. If their score is a seven or below, it's a bad goal. You need to come up with a new goal or changing the difficulty of the goal. I love that. Putting our expectations in check. I think a lot of people experience we're motivated, but then we have all these ideas. I think that people who are very creative, this happens to quite a lot, right? We have all these creative ideas and we, uh, we want to do them all, right? And we can't. And so it becomes overwhelming. And overwhelm is actually a good safety system within our being. So we we don't do too much. We don't crash. Overwhelm means too much. It's very simple. Overwhelm is too much. So the best thing to do is take a moment, a pause, and ask yourself, what is too much? And the reason that question is so important is because a lot of times, the thing that we think is too much isn't really the thing that is too much. Are there too many tasks? That might be what it looks like on the on the one level. Um, are there too many emotional charge situations? Is that adding to your overwhelm? Are there too many decisions? Are there too many personalities to handle? What is too much? And when you get that answer, then sitting with that and brainstorming, how you could reduce the amount of whatever that is. What can you do for yourself? Let's say you're 100 years old looking back over your life. Here's the five principles and qualities that I I really exemplified in my life. It makes you feel fulfilled and satisfied. If your goals are not connected to your most important core values, then 
it's important to rethink them because we never want to trade out a values-focused life for a goals-focused life. In other words, if you're focused on the end goal, there's a lot that gets lost in translation. But if you're focused on your values, let's say one of your core values is connection. And you're saying, well, I've got this huge list of goals and some of them don't really foster my core value of connection. But here's these ones that do. And maybe these are really important. Now you have a way to navigate the goals. You know, you might have a goal to be successful, but if you step on everybody you know along the way and burn a bunch of bridges and piss everybody off, and that's not going to be, in my humble opinion, a fulfilling way to that goal. But if you're following your core values, even if you don't reach the goal, even if you say, you know what, I'm not as successful as I originally sought out to be, but the whole time along the way I followed my core values, that's a satisfying and fulfilling experience. It's more about the how than the what. When we're in unhealthy rumination, we're usually not considering our values. And so an alternate to unhealthy rumination is reflecting on our values, reflecting on our expectations, and reflecting on our boundaries. We're talking a lot about motivation, but we haven't touched so much on demotivation. One of the things we always want to be on the lookout for is demotivational factors, which can be anything from, as you pointed out, how you're thinking, how you're relating to something. Your environment can be very demotivating. People around you can be very demotivating. What are the things that just kind of drag me down? Especially when you know, you're, you're pointing to thoughts being a component here, the next step is to also look at beliefs. What beliefs do you hold about yourself, about the world, about your own capabilities, about your own expectations for yourself? Let's just say, for example, somebody has a belief, I need to be perfect all the time. Or if I don't do something really well, there's no point in doing it, stuff like that. What we want to start to do is identify those things and start to undermine them. I am worthless. I am unlovable. I am defective. A lot of times those can be deeper factors that are driving our emotions and therefore our behaviors and our thought processes. This is why at the end of the day, a lot of this comes down to knowing yourself. Practicing mindfulness is a great way to understand the inner workings of your own mind and what's going on there. And then therefore, what do you do about it? So the more you practice mindfulness, the more that you become an observer of your own thoughts, the more you realize that your thinking is a phenomenon of the brain, essentially, the more you realize these thoughts don't have a lot of say, they don't have a lot of power, they don't need to play such an important role in your experience. Uh, so that's how the mindfulness can be really helpful with, with mindset. The more mindfulness you practice, the less sticky your mind can be and things seem to slide off a little bit more easily. As far as the self-compassion and what that can look like is if you are feeling demotivated, if you are struggling to get motivated, it's helpful to validate that experience. And it's helpful to look at what's driving that avoidant 
behavior to be able to validate it. So before I had mentioned avoidant behavior could be driven by doubt, fear, optimism, and past trauma. So we can validate those experiences. So an example might be, it's understandable I'm unmotivated because I have trouble believing in my abilities. Right. Again, like what Mike's been saying, it's so important to get to know yourself. Another example might be, it is understandable I am not feeling motivated because I dread boredom. Acknowledging what makes this difficult for you can be a helpful step in moving beyond it. The simplest way to understand what self-compassion is, is caring. The true definition of compassion is just caring about one's suffering. So if we're talking about self-compassion, that means caring about your own suffering. We all have done this, I'm sure. Beating yourself up about struggling to reach a goal or struggling to follow through with a habit is never going to help. It might help in the sense that it actually like gets the thing done, but it's not good for you. And it's not it's not going to help in the long run. It's not going to help you build the right skills and qualities that you're looking for. At best, it's a band-aid. At worst, it's extremely destructive. We always want to find that sense of care for whatever struggle we're going through, whatever pain we're experiencing, whatever suffering is making it difficult for us to follow through on something. There's different components of our nervous system. If you look at two of the most common, the fight or flight system, and then there's the drive system. The fight or flight system is typically not going to be helpful for us. Again, it can maybe help you get stuff done, but long term, it's not going to be good for you. The drive system is not as good as it sounds. Oh, you're driven and you're going to get things done. If you're looking at it from an evolutionary perspective, it's actually more of a survival thing than it is a self-actualization or optimization thing. Something that has been found in studies is that if we are caught up in either of these systems, if we practice self-compassion, we can actually get into a third component of the nervous system, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. We can get into what's called a rest and digest state. Self-compassion is quite an effective tool for changing the state of our nervous system. Sometimes motivation is not about getting into this high energy, go get them kind of attitude. Sometimes it's about getting out of your neuroses, out of your what we would call hyper arousal of your nervous system, because that's when all these fears come in and all these unhelpful thoughts start getting in, If you, especially if you're in fight or flight. That's sort of the why behind self-compassion. To talk a little bit about how, first identifying what it is you're attempting to care for. Being able to pause and say, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, or maybe I'm feeling scared that I'm not going to get all this done. Or I'm feeling really stressed. There's too much on my plate. Being able to name and identify and then find within you that part of you that actually cares. And for a lot of people, this is going to be really, really difficult. And what I just said might as well be French. That's the journey of self-compassion. If these were like quick, you know, sort of uh, overnight, just do this techniques, then we wouldn't be having to have all these conversations over and over again. 
there is a part of me that cares. There is a part of me that has this quality of softness and openness and kindness towards whatever it is I'm struggling with. And if I could get in touch with that by slowing down, focusing on my breath, then maybe I can change my experience and my relationship to this. Self-compassion really brings you into the heart. Self-compassion brings you into your heart. And when you're in your heart, when you're there, we know what we need. We know what we need to do. And that can be extremely motivating. The clarity that we get is so great for our motivation. Mike, thank you so much for being yet again an awesome guest on the Aware Mind podcast. How can we find you? How can we get a hold of you? My website is striveon.me, M-E. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a therapist and I run a group practice. There's five other therapists that work for my practice, ranging in all kinds of different specialties from anxiety to trauma to ADHD, you name it. We have some openings. If anybody needs or someone you know needs a therapist, that's a resource. The Aware Mind podcast is a TSD mindfulness production. Please check out our show notes for upcoming events and links to additional resources. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, D as in dwell, mind as in mindfulness.org. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at tsd underscore mindfulness. (laughs) 